how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. As a kid, Eaton Rockaway would film toy soldiers in an effort to model his hero, director Steven Spielberg. By the time he was 12, he was shooting short films with friends. Then after the army, he went to NYU to study film. His new movie, Lansky, stars Harvey Keitel. The description reads, When the aging Meyer Lansky is investigated one last time by the feds, who suspect he has stashed away millions of dollars over half a century, the retired gangster spins a dizzying tale revealing the untold truth about his life as the notorious boss of Murder, Inc. and the National Crime Syndicate. In this interview, Rockaway talks about the constant battle to make independent films, his obsession with mixed genres, how he spends time between movies, how he creates a director's Bible, and a scene he hated to cut in Lansky that might have changed the movie. Well, ever since I was a kid, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I used to watch these amazing movies. And I think it started when I was very, very young. I was playing with toy soldiers and I couldn't, you know, see what, I, what, I, what I'm envisioning in my imagination while I'm playing with the toys. And uh, my father, you know, got me a small camera and I started shooting frame by frame these toys, kind of like, you know, moving these toy soldiers and stuff like that. And uh, then it just expanded. I mean, I always loved movies and I always, everybody said they wanted to be this and that. When they grew up, I always said I wanted to be Steven Spielberg. So, you know, so that was, that was the, the, the beginning. I had a love for movies ever since I was very, very young. Um, I think my first movie, short movie I shot when I was like uh, 12 years old with my, with my friends back home, you know, playing around with the camera, doing like a, it was a bloody murder type movie that, that we did, um, 12, 13, something like that. But I always loved movies and I always wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, yeah, and after, that, and after I finished uh, the army, um, you know, I, I went to NYU to Tisch and uh, that was the, the start of the film career. Was it ever overwhelming as you moved from like, you know, kind of this fun hobby with friends to professional filmmaking? Did it ever seem like too much or did you kind of, you know, slowly work your way through to learn what you needed to, to do the next project? 
Well, I always loved making movies, but I wasn't, you know, in the environment that I grew up in, it wasn't, you know, cool to be uh, uh, an art student and, and, and there wasn't much, especially Israel back in those days, there wasn't uh, an emphasis on art and filmmaking and especially high school. My real jumping into movies was when I went into college at, at NYU and there you're dealing with really amazing filmmakers that have been working and practicing their entire lives. So for me, uh, going to NYU was um, very beneficial because I learned all the technicalities of making movies. And, um, and I, when, when I arrived there the first few days when they were dealing with uh, camera positioning and framing, I said, oh, wow. Yeah, I have a lot of years to catch up to over here. Um, but, you know, Tisch was a great school. I loved it. I met amazing people. And um, yeah, I mean, then it's always overwhelming to make movies. Even when you get to make movies and you become a filmmaker, doing independent uh, films is, is, is just a constant battle, you know, um, for good and for bad. But there's nothing better than that. I mean, there really isn't. You, have, you're, you get the phone bug and you're stuck with it for life. <laughs> <laughs> and you're even though you've been working uh kind of since you were a kid you're still relatively young in the feature world what are you looking to make like what makes a compelling story what kind of stories do you want to tell well i i really like mixed genres in general uh i love horror movies and i was very attached to this and obviously i like gangster movies my heart is in sci-fi and fantasy in general and also as well horror movies but um uh, it was kind of like a stepping stone. So I don't see myself in a specific genre. I, I really choose, I like world building stories and I like compelling stories that have to do, deal with morality and spirituality, anything that has the, because at the end of the day, you can wrap around a beautiful movie with all of the uh, whistles and, and, and beauty and everything, but it comes down to the human experience. So that's what attracts me the most, the human experience, questions of morality, questions of living life. Um, yeah. So how did you kind of get involved with Lansky? Where did that first, where did you first get involved with it? How did that all come to be? My father is a history professor and one of the areas of his expertise is organized crime. And um, he wrote a book about gangsters called, but he was good to his mother. So as a kid, the two favorite things he liked, you know, the stories in bed were about gangsters and Greek mythology. These were the two subjects he used to tell me. And as a kid, I was always fascinated by these dangerous, you know, adventurous lives of gangsters, especially when, you know, they sounded like mythical characters. So I was always in love with gangsters. I grew up with these stories. He interviewed a lot of them. And actually he interviewed Mayor Lansky before he passed away. So the character of David Stone in the movies is loosely based on his, on his interviews with Mayor Lansky and his observations. Where did the uh, the script come from? Like, how did you did you did you get the rights to this? Was this a reboot? Like, where did some of those? I know this. There's been some other project about Lansky, but is this is this completely original, or is this based on some other things? No, it's completely original. Uh, it's complete. The the catalyst was obviously my father and his interview with Mayor Lansky, but it's completely an original screenplay. Um, it's a very complex. I know there was a movie uh, made uh, Lansky with Richard Dreyfuss 20 years ago on HBO, but I tried not watching anything that had to do with Lansky just so I could have my own original uh, outtake and be objective towards the subject. Um, yeah, we did a lot of research. I interviewed my father, other, there's another great book called Little Man, um, you know, FBI files. But in, in, in a movie like this, you have to put 
you know, connect the dots because you're dealing with the underworld and the criminal organization and many a lot of it was secretive and uh, word of mouth so you kind of like have to put you know connect the dots and and create your own world and i think that i created my own version of who mayor lansky was most of everything that you saw in the movie is historically accurate but i did take you know creative liberties in, in certain cases and um uh, i tried being as accurate as i could how did you think about these two characters of David Stone and Lansky in terms of like, do you see this movie as a two-hander? How do you think about how they kind of juxtapose, juxtapose against each other? Well, for, for me, older Lansky, there's an older Lansky and a younger Lansky. The longer, younger Lansky represents his youth, represents his ruthlessness. The older Lansky represents a, a man, you know, um, uh, evaluating his life, evaluating his morality coming to terms essentially with his life. And he says in the movie, I can't change my past, but I can change the perception of it, which uh, he was trying to do his entire life. I think he was very much ashamed of uh, certain things that happened, including not getting into Israel. Uh, David Stone character is a character that, that, that ties the emotional arc because you have somebody there that's learning through Lansky, eventually looking at him as a father figure and his morality is being questioned and, and, and character when the FBI approach him and they're trying to get Lansky. And I think um, they both learn something towards the end of the movie. And specifically for the character of David Stone, he learns what's important in life. And you know, uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to family. Lansky is a bit more complex because the entire movie, we're going back and forth between the, the present and the past. And um, I think towards the end of his life, he, he, you know, he came to terms with who he was. He did it in his way. I think the, the last scene of the movie when he's walking down on the beach, kind of looking at his life in the distance and then the old man walking, you know, it's like a, a gladiator that, 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 you know, did good, did bad, treaded that thin gray line between good and bad his entire life. He did it his way. And, you know, that's the type of person that he was. You mentioned kind of avoiding watching the, the other Lansky film, but did you watch other films about journalists or other films about like gangsters? How did you kind of, you know, write what the audience expects to see to some degree, but still make it your own and still make it original? Well, I think that, you know, I watch a lot of obviously all the great movies. I was, I was inspired a lot by Miller's Crossing. Um, this is a tricky situation because it was a very complex uh, screenplay because you had three essentially main characters. You had the young Lansky, you had the older Lansky that, that do have the connection but are very different because they're two different periods of their life. And then you have the reporter. What I didn't want in the movie is to have a reporter that just standing there sitting interviewing the guy and then we're going back and it looks like a, you know, like a documentary. Um, so it was very kind of uh, um, complex to kind of tie it in together. Again, you're shooting an independent movie, so I had to cut 20 pages of the screenplay on set. So a lot of what you saw in the movie wasn't there. We shot in 20 days in Alabama. That's not an easy thing, you know, for a $5 million budget. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I was as close as possible to, to what uh, the screenplay was. Uh, the original screenplay was much better. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of like, you know, the movie that you, you write, the movie you direct, and the movie that you edit is literally three different movies. So you do the best that you can with, uh, you know, at the end of the day. When you go into something like that, are you making notes about scenes you might possibly cut beforehand or is that all in the moment? Uh, a lot of it is all in the moment. A lot of sometimes beforehand, the day before they're like, hey, listen, you don't have time to shoot these three scenes with all these setups. Um, we have to cut something and then you have to like, 
you know, make a decision. Some of them were literally that, that day, you know, like suddenly there was raining or one scene took too long or, and, and, and some of it is beforehand. Uh, what I would suggest to all filmmakers, and this is a, one thing that I learned, I was amazed, you know, after directing for, for, for many, many years and going to Tish and everything, I never, and when, then when I finished my first movie, you know, every time you finish, you think you're, okay, I finished school and I'm a director now. Then you finish your first movie, you're like, okay, now I'm really a director because I learned so much. I was amazed how much I learned in this movie. And one thing for all filmmakers I recommend, if you have an option to shoot a scene, there was one scene in the movie, which was my favorite scene in the movie and probably wouldn't have been one of the most iconic scenes is when Harvey Keitel uh, is confronted by thugs in the street and he scares them off. Um, and me and my DP were running and we had time to shoot that scene and we didn't have the location that we wanted. And he said, you know, let's shoot it tomorrow. And the next day it was raining and we couldn't shoot the scene and now the scene is not in the movie. So if you have an option to shoot a scene in the movie, shoot it. If you have another, if it's not coming, you have another option to shoot it the next day because you never know what's going to happen. So. Now, do you see that um, if you're making those choices, is that kind of a gut feeling of like this scene's important to me, like to you as a director or like I'm sure you, you know, you have to get these plot ones down as opposed to maybe the character ones. How do you kind of balance that out? Or is it just, again, all situational? Well, I, I think it's a gut feeling and you have to follow your gut feeling. And I'll tell filmmakers this because I, I edited now with a three time Oscar nominee, uh, Stephen Rosenblum, and he told me in every movie, there has to be three special scenes. And sometimes these scenes have nothing to do with the storyline, but they're just get great scenes and shoot them. And you're all gonna encounter when you're on set making a movie or line producer or a producer or somebody saying, hey, this has nothing to do with the storyline, cut it out. You know, let's cut it out and save time and then you'll have more setups for the next scene. But if you have a gut feeling that this is an important scene, if it's a visceral feeling, if it's a gut feeling, if it's your instinct, and shoot it because some of the greatest scenes in cinema had nothing to do with the storyline but had to do everything with the character or were just great scenes and every good movie is going to have three great scenes or has to have three great scenes what are some of your your thoughts about that scene because i'm thinking now about the movie that that it seems like adding that there might make him less remorseful of his past or just show that it's ingrained in him who who he's who he was before that's still who he is Exactly. That was one of the only scenes in the movie where we had Mayor Lansky on his own without the reporter mm -hmm. and to see who he still really was to show that he was still that same person that he was when he was younger, even though in his old in, in his old age. And it was a very important character scene. And, um, you know, I had to give that up for for another powerful scene, you know, which which people like. So it was a, a give and take. But um, you live and learn. What were some of your conversations like with Harvey Keitel about this character? Well, Harvey Keitel is, is uh, you know, he's a New Yorker. Um, he's Jewish. Uh, he grew up, he had, a, he had a tough, you know, upbringing and stuff. So he's kind of like that character that went to pro-society to went to the good side. But he has a lot of similarities to Mayor Lansky in the sense of being New Yorkers and, and growing up as an immigrant and all of that. Um, we had a lot of discussions about that. And you know, when it comes to acting and directing the actor, every single actor you work with is, is, is different. Uh, Harvey's a method actor. Um, you know, he, he was head of the actor's studio for two decades. He's one of the greatest legendary actors out there. Um, you know, and, and dealing with him is definitely different than dealing with, with some other actors. And you always have to kind of find a way to deal with actors and see what makes them work. For instance, Harvey told me, never tell me how to feel, give me an action. 
And you have to be very you know, aware of that because that's how you communicate with the method actor. Is there an example of that that comes to mind? I mean, is it just more like, is it so he can adapt it himself or can you elaborate on that? Or, uh, I don't know. Off the top, no. I mean, I can't think of a, uh, of a uh, situation we had in the movie off the top, but I'll give you an example. If, uh, you know, an actor um, is, is uh, you know, uh, mourning uh, somebody that, that, that passed away and, and, so that's something, and, and you don't feel that he's, you know, uh, crying enough or, or, or sad enough, then instead of saying to him, you know, uh, I need you to be more sad or cry, you say to him, you know what, uh, uh, get, you know, get on your knees and, 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 and pray or something like that. Give him them an action, not a feeling. Don't tell them how to feel, but tell them, you know, give them an action that brings out that emotion that you're looking for. Um, but there are other actors that, are, that, have, that work with different methods and, and you know, want, uh, want, want you to tell them how to feel. There are actors that tell you, you know, tell me, you know, where to stand, how to say, how you want me to say it, and, and that are great performances. Every person has his own process and you just have to find a way to speak with every actor. You have, there are also actors that are doing, you know, bring the best performances in the first takes. And, you know, and some act and then later on, they get tired There's some actors that need to warm up. So do you shoot uh, a wide shot in the first take when you know that there's an actor that is going to bring his best performance? Or do you know, OK, this actor brings his best performances in the first three, four takes. Let's shoot the close up and so on. So these are decisions that you have to make on set based on the people you're working with. Imagine you, you pick some of that up the first day or two, but are there also certain questions you ask or how do you kind of start those conversations about how to best work with an actor? Well, you ask them, you ask them what, what is their process? You know, you, you get information from them, you know, what, what, what is the method where, you know, where they studied, you can ask them, you know, questions like, uh, do you deliver, do you need to warm up? Do you deliver, you know, uh, do you feel that you bring the fire in the first thing? Sometimes you just say, you know, we're doing a wide shot right now. Um, save, save the energy for, for the close-up. But you, you just have a discussion like friendship and you just start talking. You talk about the characters and it becomes a conversation like with a friend of yours. What advice might you give to young directors who are maybe shooting their first longer short or full feature? Like how do they show up with little experience but still have the confidence to talk to actors and kind of command the set to a degree? Well, you have to, you know, Show always show confidence, even if you're not confident, show confidence, because if you're, you're the, the head of the ship, you're the CEO of this creative project, in other words. So always show confidence, you know, uh, uh, fake it until you make it or fake it until you feel it, because that, that tone is going to follow you everywhere. And if you if you're not confident, then you know, you, the crew won't, won't respect you and the actors won't respect you. Um, another thing is put really you're only as good as the crew that you have and the actors that you have. So make sure that you have, you know, that you're on the same page with your production designer, with your DP, make sure that your actors are great actors because at the end of the day with all the bells and whistles and making it look and sound and make it beautiful, that's secondary. If you don't have that emotional arc, that emotional power in the scene between, with the actors, and then, then it's not gonna go anywhere. So you've got credits, uh, including some documentaries and shorts back to around 2010. Are there any like habits or lesson you learned back then that you fully believe that you no longer believe or you changed your style about? Um, I think that, that mostly with time and the more productions you do, the more confidence you get. 
um, making movies is, is, is a creative process. And a lot of it is a gut feeling and instinct. And one thing I did learn is that usually my instincts were right. And even if they were wrong, at least I did it my way and I can blame myself. But the last thing you want to do is take advice from a producer or somebody else, and then they're wrong. And then you're living with the rest of your life with their mistake, you know, but trust your instinct and trust your gut feeling because you're creating art. Art comes from, you know, a deep place. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an instinctual, it's visceral. It's not like you're building a building. Um, so go with your gut. And I think that's one of the things as, as the years went by, my confidence came greater and I went with my gut. And when I made a mistake, I learned from it. And that's fine. We're human beings, we learn. And when I was right, then I was right. But the, the last thing you want to do is make a mistake based on somebody else's uh, advice. Are there any common misconceptions or common bad advice that young directors often get? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, listen to your producers. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, um, more, more situational stuff, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of something. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I got a lot of bad advice and I, love it. I got a lot of good advice. All the bad advice I don't remember. I just keep the good advice. Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think nothing off the top of my head that, you know, uh, bad advice that, that I remember. I mean, um, but I, I did get a lot of good, good advice. So the bad advice I kind of like deleted. If you're kind of moving, so you mentioned like having a fascination with sci-fi films, if you're kind of moving from this drama to more of a, a sci-fi uh, thriller type movie and you haven't done a certain scene before, where do you begin that preparation? Do you go look at other examples? Do you talk to your cinematographer? Where do you kind of begin something where you uh, might feel over your head in the beginning? Well, the best way to learn filmmaking, I always tell everyone is A, you know, watch movies. When it comes to acting and this read books, no matter how good you think you are, you're, there's always something to learn. The, the, you know, there's people think that, you know, oh, I did it, I know everything. It's not true. There's always something to learn. I can tell you that in this movie, work, working with people that everything from the, the DP to my gaffer who was 80, in his 80s and did ET and Spielberg. I mean, there's, you always learn. Um, I say watch, definitely watch movies, definitely, you know, uh, read books. And, um, you know, I, I was always into world building. Um, so um, when it comes to, if you're talking about shooting bigger budget movies and, and action sequences and that, when, when the time comes, you have departments that, that help you out with that and, and lay it out and that did that before. Even when you're directing an action sequence and this action sequence was lucky enough to have a good first assistant director that did many of them before, you know, so he could advise and, and, and help out the, the whole bun meeting scene. I don't know if you saw it or not, mm -hmm. um, but you're going to get, when, when it comes to the big uh, action scene, if you're like a director that's, that did an indie and then suddenly you get a Marvel movie, trust me, because I have a lot of friends that, that, that are doing Marvel and DC movie directors and, and their first ones, they had a lot of assistance. They laid out, you know, if it was storyboarding or other techniques and they had, you know, uh, people come in and, and, and help them with it. But at the end of the day, the job of the director is to focus on the storytelling and the acting and bringing that emotional arc outside. Everything around it is, is you know, bells and whistles that, 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 that you can do with your production designer and you'll have people help you with and, you know, so on. It sounds like, tell me a little bit about what you kind of do 
between films? Like, it sounds like you're talking to other directors. Are you visiting sets? Like, how are you preparing for the next thing while you're still trying to figure out what the next thing is? Um, I mean, look, I'm always in the learning process. There isn't one day that I doesn't go by where I don't read at least 20 minutes uh, from a book or listen to a book. I constantly watch movies. I constantly probe friends. Um, you know, I've been in many sets in my life. I, I, you know, I built a TV channel, created 100 hours of content. So, I mean, I'm, on the technical level, uh, I, I have a lot of experience, but I, I keep learning and I keep going. Uh, when it comes to other movies, you know, um, like every, I always start with a lookbook. I start with the screenplay and then I start with the lookbook. So I have a clear vision of what I want for my next movie or the way to look. And if you look at the lookbook for that band and look at the lookbook for the for Lansky, they're you know, um, what you see in the lookbook is very similar to what you see on the screen. Um, but again, preparing yourself to write a screenplay is very different from preparing yourself to shoot a movie. When you go in to shoot a movie, what I usually like to do is I take every scene and I break it down. When it comes to the actors, the characters, the visual style, I do a, a, a wish list, shot list. I have visual references. I call it the director's Bible. And it literally is, you know, it comes out to depending like two pages or a page per, per scene where I break it down. So I have a clear understanding visually, uh, creatively um, when it comes to the actor, when it comes to the arc of the scene, the emotional arc of the scene, what the characters are saying, all of the elements in there. So I am on set, I have my shot list, I have my storyboard, whatever, but I do have that book because sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, that was a great idea that I thought about when I was drinking uh, a cappuccino three months ago and we should try that shot. But when you're doing independent movies, it, it's very, very different. I have to tell you that I, I had, you know, uh, 15 setups or 20 setups per scene and suddenly you're on set and they're like, hey, you have time for three. And then you have to like throw your shot list. And that's what I did every day. Show the, throw the shot list in the garbage, you know, maybe pick one or two um, specific shots that I like. And then me and my VP went on set and we figured out how to get coverage and to make it look beautiful at the same time. And suddenly you have a scene with 10 or 15 setups that you have to do in three and it needs to work. How much of the lookbook and the Bible and some of those things are just for you? And how much of that is also involved in the pitch to bring in actors and producers and everything else? The lookbook um, is usually for producers. Uh, sometimes actors wanted to see them rarely, but usually it's for producers, studios, financers. You always have to have a lookbook um, which shows your vision you know, breaks down your director's statement, the story, all of that. Um, it's good for, um, you know, development. Um, but yeah, so that's for the lookbook. The screenplay obviously is important because that's how you get the cast. That's how you get the investors and everything. But for a, for a project, a minimum you need for a project in development process, I think is to have a great screenplay and a really strong lookbook. So they know that you're, you have, you're mastering the, the technical level. You have a clear vision of what you want to do and a clear vision that you can convey to everyone around you. In the last like 10 years or so that you've been working, have you seen any elements of the screenplay change? Like I've heard some writers say it's more important to really get into the action in the first five minutes, but has anything changed in the last 10 years or so about writing a screenplay? Really, I think that at the end of the day, I mean, they always say like, you know, have some uh, inciting incident up, uh, before page 15 or up on page 15. I mean, usually, yes, you want to get the audience attention. Um, you know, around that time, but, you know, uh, rules are meant to be broken as long as they're broken and they work, you know, even cinematography, you know, uh, the 180 rule and stuff. So it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I didn't see many differences, but you know, there are certain guidelines that if you follow, it will be more successful. Sometimes you break the rules completely, um, you know, um, and, and you have great movies. I think, uh, you know, if you ever saw the movie Irreversible or uh, um, even, you know, recently Tenet and stuff like that, rules are constantly broken in movies. And, um, you know, it really comes down to having a good story, good uh, emotional character arc, and, you know, having something, uh, something that people want to hear and a great story to be told. Can you share any details um, about visibility? It's a, I think it's a film listed in pre-production on IMDb. Can you share anything there? Uh, well, it's uh, the screenwriter is Alan Loeb. I can't really talk about it yet until he's you know writing a new draft. But uh, that's one movie that I'm attached to direct. And then uh, there's another big project, Dream Watchers, which I'm writing, and uh, uh, and uh, it's a sci-fi fantasy with a producer named Kane Lee. He's uh, great producer and winning producer does a lot of animation and there are two other projects that are just not uh, posted yet that, that I'm working on but my two next one is going to be a, a, a cop thriller and the other two are sci-fi fantasy thank you for tuning in to the show if it's your first time listening make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel the blog the podcast and my new book ink by the barrel which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com you'll see the link in the show notes thanks again